Here's what we'll call this today. We're still on the subject of hope, on the theme of hope. When hope just will not die. When hope just will not die. The ones whose life we'll look into is a dramatic and remarkable Old Testament character by the name of Joseph. Joseph. Let me read some of this and uh, you follow along. I'm reading from the New American Standard translation of the Bible. Genesis 37 verse 1. Now Jacob, who will also be known as Israel, synonymous terms for the names for the same man. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph, the 17-year-old, had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, cutting off stalks of wheat or barley by hand, no combines, no John Deere's during those days. They would cut the stalks off individually, and in the dream, that's what they were doing. And would bind those sheaves of wheat together and then take them back to a threshing floor where they would be beaten and the grain would be separated from the chaff and the stalk. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheep rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? That's how they interpreted the dream. Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to the brothers and said, lo, I've had still another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it, the dream, to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers, I being the father being the sun, the mother being the moon, the brothers being the stars, actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. In other words, he remembered what Joseph had described the dream to be. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said, I will go. So the next few verses describe Joseph being sent to find his brothers and bring back a report to his father and how the sheep were doing and how the brothers were doing. Look at verse 18. 
when they, the brothers, saw him, saw Joseph from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we'll say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, the oldest brother, heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him, that Reuben might come back later, pull Joseph out of the pit and restore him to his father. That's what Reuben had in mind. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up, lifted Joseph out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? What's going to become of me? I'm supposed to be taking care of him and you all. So they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a male goat, dipped the tunic in the blood, and they sent the very colored tunic, brought it to their father, and said, we found this. Please examine it to see whether it's your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob, the old daddy, tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son Joseph many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol or death. Surely I will go down to my grave in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him, sold Joseph, still very much alive, sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Can I remind you of um, what Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? He was quoting the prophet Joel. And he said, on that day, the great day of the Lord, there will be a, an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will be poured out upon all flesh, male and female, older and younger. He said that one of the signs will be that old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions as an indication that the Spirit of God can initiate, can cause to be created dreams dreams, a function of the Spirit of God, one of the ways that God has of making his heart for people, his mission for people known to those people. 
Now, Joseph was obviously a young man, but he still received a dream that must have been prompted by the Spirit of God working in him. The dream stirred specific hope in Joseph. Do you remember the definition of hope? Hope is a wish, it's a desire, coupled with an expectation that what you've been wishing for or hoping for is going to happen. It's a wish plus an expectation. Now I want you to think with me for a minute. As you go back and examine those two dreams that Joseph had, there are two very clear aspects to those dreams. One is the exaltation of Joseph to some kind of position of leadership, some kind of position of influence, some kind of position from which what he would say or wish or desire would be heard. That would be accepted as the meaning for him being elevated. The other part, and it's very curious, is that in each of those, it includes the brothers, and in the last one, the mother and the dad, circling Joseph, circling that position of influence or leadership, and it has to indicate some type of relationship. That there's relationship between the brothers and the mother and the dad, but there's a relationship with them and Joseph. So here's where I wanna just jump off into this real quick. Hope that just will not die can be tied to hope that someday, one day, you, will step into, be brought into, be elevated into a position of influence. A position of influence. It may be a position like with Joseph that included governmental influence, it included the, the, uh, the monitoring of the finances of Pharaoh, the household belongings of, of Pharaoh, the monitoring things across an entire nation. That, that was that was a massive fulfillment of that dream, elevated into that kind of position. Maybe yours isn't governmentally, but maybe it is professionally. Maybe it is that there's something that's working inside you of a hope that one day you will be involved in influence, in influence, in leadership. Now don't don't make this so way back yonder Bible story that you miss what God may be wanting to say to you today. That a, a hope, a desire with a sense of expectation that works inside you, that one day you would have an opportunity to influence and to lead, that's not necessarily just an ego trip for you. It wasn't for Joseph. It was the dream that God had for him. But the second part of this is relationships. It, it was obvious that Joseph had a real hard time with relationships in his own household. It wasn't necessarily his own doing. He couldn't pick his birth order. He had nothing to do what, what rank he was as the, as the youngest at that point in time. He couldn't help it that his father seemed to favor him, seemed to want to identify him and bless him as, 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 a, as, a, as a prince of sorts. It was unusual that there would be that kind of coat that would be um, woven and, and placed upon one particular child. It, it, it's, like, it's like the father is, is deeding his measure of royalty onto that son. Some, it was a coat of, that a prince would wear, one who would be ascending the throne following the father king's demise at some point. It, it, it represented more than just a flashy Saturday night outfit. It, it, was, it indicated something. Joseph didn't have anything to do with that. But his brothers hated him because he was so loved by his father. It was a jealousy factor. Blood kin, we're talking blood kin. We're not talking classmates. We're not talking you know, co-workers, this is blood kin. These are people, these are people who are supposed to like you. 
Are y'all you, you awake? These are folks who are supposed to want to be around you and love you and look forward to seeing you, your blood kin, your family. But with Joseph, they despised him. They hated him already. And for the word to be used, for hate to be used to describe this, that's, that's not... Um, uh, that, that, that's a strong word, and, and it, was, it, it, it was intended to describe how they actually felt, and that hatred for him was manifested when it's recorded that they were plotting to kill him. That they didn't just want him to be silent, they wanted him to be gone. Okay. So when Joseph gives this dream about, about his stalk standing up and everybody around him bowing down, it wasn't just the bowing down part, it was an indication of some kind of relationship. That the relationship not completely destroyed, but somehow the relationship intact and somehow the relationship being a positive thing, being a good thing. If, if, if we're to ask you, What's the greatest hope in your life right now? Could it be the hope for reconciliation, restoration of fellowship? Maybe not restoration of it, just opportunity to have it in the first place. Joseph evidently really never had the opportunity to have a close relationship with that band of brothers. But in his dream, in his dream, they were all together, and somehow he was central to the relationship. Would you hang on to that? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may abound, you may exude, you may effervesce, you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Or in what categories, Lord? In these two categories we look at this morning. One is the hope that one day you will have a position and a place of influence. And then secondly, that one day God in his grace and mercy may restore fellowship. May reconcile warring factions even within your own family. Now, that's, that's the immediate context of this. This is blood kin hating a member of the clan, hating him so much that some within the group wanted him dead. Others felt a little sympathy for him, and they at least tried to engineer it a bit in a more fabled way, at least not kill him. But still, they sold him. With Joseph unable to protect himself, watching what was going on, his own brothers contriving and implementing a plan to have him tied at probably at the hands and feet and sent off the edge of the world's cliff into nowhere. He never got to say goodbye to his dad, never got to say goodbye to his mother. He never got to clean anything up from his own room, take anything with him. It was as if some lion, tiger, or bear had just, had just crushed him, killed him, and eaten him, and he was gone. And that was, that was how the story was going to be. So off Joseph goes to Egypt. Let me suggest to you this. When hope just will not die, here are a couple of things that have to happen. You end up facing down the enemies of hope. Some of those that you face down, it doesn't mean they go away. It doesn't mean that you just conquer the enemies of hope. You stick a dagger in them or you throw a hand grenade at them and you blow them up. They're still there. They're still looking at you. Rejection is still looking at you. Rejection through the faces of the people who rejected you and the words that they spoke, they're still, they're still operating. And the only way hope survives 
is that somehow God gives you the ability from within to face them down, face down the rejection. The second part is to outlast the enemies of hope. Just to, just to last longer than they are. Instead of it being, let me preacher, give me this formula so I can just rebuke all this resistance and it'll just go away. Got to tell you, sometimes that'll work. Sometimes you pray. Sometimes the Lord just shuts the mouth. Sometimes he just sends the enemy away. Sometimes his way to get you through it is just give you strength to last longer than they will. To just stand there. Outlast it. To face down the enemies of hope but also to outlast the enemies of hope. I don't know that there is a greater enemy to the soul of a man or woman than the enemy called rejection. If there was any one emotion, negative emotion, painful emotion that Jesus Christ himself felt on the cross, It was when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From eternity past up until that moment, there had been nothing but the deepest of closeness and intimacy between the Father and the Son. But because of the sin that Jesus took in himself as he went to the cross to be crucified and he paid the price of sin, at that point in time, the Father turned his face turned his back to the son and allowed the punishment of sin to be meted out upon the son. For Jesus, again and again and again, as he'd speak to folks who had read the Bible, they were were good about going to synagogue and being in church and and, and all the feast days and fast days, but it was as if they just rejected him. He was loving people and caring for people and healing people. And the ones who were supposed to get that message, the ones who really had a lot of Bible in them, they just flat out, whole hog, rejected Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, there is no more painful human emotion than the pain of rejection. Being rejected by folks who ought to love you who ought to want to put up with you, who ought to want to have patience with you, but they don't. And so it's as if they're just saying, get out of my life. You've lived long enough. You've messed up our happiness. You've messed up our lives. You're long enough. Just leave. That was the brothers talking to Joseph. Here's the deal. If Joseph had concluded that the rejection coming from his brothers was the heart of God for him, that their rejection was who he really was, he would have been dead in the water. He would have nothing to give after he ended up being sold as a slave into Potiphar's house, and he ends up being such a blessing to Potiphar's house that Potiphar turns the whole household over to him. So just run him. Didn't even worry about anything that he'd given to Joseph because he trusted him, because he was efficient, because he knew how to handle people, because he had a good attitude, because everything seemed to grow that Joseph touched. If Joseph had been crippled and imprisoned by the rejection of his brothers, he would have zero to offer to Potiphar in the future of his life. You, you can have a choice. You, you, we have a choice. You let rejection, the opinions of others who write you off, you let them into your heart and you allow them to crush your hope. Then what happens is they have the tendency to keep you away from the rest of that which God has in mind for you. Don't let them do it. Don't let that happen. Facing down the enemy of hope. Facing it down. I will not accept 
that though you have rejected me, that means God has rejected me. If you're making me make a choice, I'm going with what I believe God feels about me, and I'm rejecting your rejection of me if you make me make a choice. And then just the termination, they're not going to go away. The memories are not necessarily going to be deleted from your brain. So what do you do then? You just outlast it. You just outlast it. Choosing to, God, if I have to wake up every morning, seeing that scowl, hearing those words, hearing that thing, I'm trusting you to give me strength to just keep on trucking, Lord. Keep on trucking. Help me to keep going. Instead of bury myself in a self-pity party, blame my misery on my brothers, they're not even here. And yet I'm allowing them to control my life and control my future, though they're not even here, they're not living my life, but they've so wounded me. Well, if that's how we can think sometimes, then we need to run, run right back here to Joseph and say, how in the world did he make it? Not just make it, but how did he keep on going? And not just keep on going, how did he end up being elevated to the second in command of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth probably at that time? Egypt itself, second only to the Pharaoh. How did he get there when his brothers had blown his heart out? How did he not lose hope? I'm telling you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound and explode with hope. How? How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He has the power. He has the desire. He has the love for you. He has the knowledge of you to know that you're toast if you don't have hope. So he has that heart to want to infuse us with hope. Now listen, hope is a marathon word. It's not a sprint word. Hope is a word for the long haul. Hope is a word for the endless desert. Hope is a word for the long night. And the only way we make it, the only way hope survives is if God by his spirit continues to stoke it. Okay. Now, so, so there, we, there we have that, that enemy of hope called rejection. But the enemy of hope called rejection is not greater than, not stronger than the God who put the dream in Joseph's heart. It's as if the Lord understands what's going to be coming. The Lord knows what the opponents will be. He knows how much time is going to pass. This dream or these two dreams were given to Joseph at least 20 years before there would be any, anything like the fulfillment of that which he hoped for. 20 years. Let me tell you another enemy of hope. It's the passage of time. <laughs> Sunrise, sunset. Here comes another December. Here comes another birthday. There goes another Thanksgiving. The time passing. And nothing seems to change. Nothing seems to change in the materially, in the material natural realm of getting you closer to that. But here's what else doesn't change. The hope in you doesn't change. The fact that you're still wishing for it, still desiring it, and still somehow expecting it. Right, here's another deal. The very thing that was in Joseph's dream went opposite in the immediate reality, all right? He was gonna be elevated. The next thing he knows, he's shackled on the back of some burrow headed, headed west toward Egypt to a land he didn't know, to people he couldn't understand, to a culture he had, had no clue what was, what was going on. And everything familiar to him Everything sympathetic to him, at least it should be, because it was family and friends. All of that in the rearview mirror, none of that went with him. I want you to stay with me now. Let me, let me, 
turn, skip chapter 38, Genesis 38. Go to chapter 39, Genesis 39. Now, Joseph, this is verse 9. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, the ca- whose bodyguard? The captain of the Pharaoh's bodyguard. Now, you reckon Pharaoh's going to have somebody in charge of his bodyguard whom he didn't trust, who didn't have his ear? Absolutely not. Potiphar bought Joseph as a household slave. But what was happening is that he was being moved from the position of an unknown slave into a position in a household where the household was known, adjacent to the Pharaoh himself. Now all of that's going negatively because he's fixing to get thrown in prison, but it wasn't just any prison. <laughs> it, was, it was probably the high security premium prison in all of Egypt. It was specifically where the Pharaoh put his prisoners. It would be from that prison that Joseph would interpret the dreams of two individuals who worked directly for the Pharaoh. One of them in the dream, Joseph sees the dream saying that this one will be put to death. The other one would be restored to his office. And the Pharaoh knew these people. So listen, when it came time for Pharaoh's dream to be interpreted, Joseph was logically in line to be tapped as a possible dream interpreter because of where Joseph had been placed in prison. God knows what he's doing even when we don't. Even when it looks like totally opposite, total reversal, God's in the middle of it if you're his child. Telling you, I'm telling you. Well, he was sold into slavery, yes. He ended up in a jail, yes. Well, what's the rest of the story? Read the rest as well. You know, the thing is, he he just kind of ended up being the second in command of the whole nation by way of the jailhouse, by way of being sold into slavery by his own blood kin. God is bigger than blood kin. God is bigger than the circumstances that may be pressed in upon us that we didn't have anything to do with. In fact, we're trying to do what's right, as Joseph would be in Potiphar's house, and it just goes south. I mean, just, 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 just the, the free falling in the opposite direction of where it would seem like that dream said he would be. He's in, supposed to be in leadership. He's being sold as a slave. Everybody's supposed to be around him, glad to see him. They're the ones perpetuating the, the plot. Folks, folks, the Lord cares about the timing. He's interested in the timing. But there are times that in settings, the timing can be so frustrating to us and be so confusing to us, can be discouraging to us if we don't realize that God is also and even more interested in the result. He knows where it's going. Joseph is all about that says, Joseph had been, 39 verse 1, taken down to Egypt. Potiphar bought him. And verse 2, would you look at 39 2? The Lord was with Joseph. With Joseph. Uh, that, that, little, that little preposition, with, is a geographical identifier. The Lord was with Joseph. Where Joseph was, the Lord was. Where the Lord was, Joseph was. Even though he had left the land of Canaan, even though he had left the land of promise, sold into slavery, but the Lord didn't abandon him. The Lord was with Joseph as a slave, working for somebody else. Now, folks, listen, oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. 
We, we, we get to think, well, I'm going to develop these unselfish attitudes. I'm going to develop this attitude of really working hard and being diligent and, you know, and, just, and just pressing on through. When I finally am recognized for what I really am worth, good luck with that, Jack or Jackie. Good luck with it. You will be elevated from lesser to greater, from little to more, because you have proven your mettle in the less. You have proven who you are in the little. A college degree or a Phi Beta Kappa stamp on your diploma does absolutely nothing to alter character. Who you are in the dark is who you'll be in the light. Who you are in the little place is who, you, where you, who you'll be in the big place. For Joseph to be who he was, and the Lord was with him as a slave, but the same God was also with him when he moved on up, when he moved on up to Pharaoh's right hand. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. These, these seasons of testing. And, and, and it's not that the Lord is testing us because he wants us to fail. He's testing us so that we'll know that he is right there with us. That he's strengthening us. That he's with us when we put our head down. He's with us when we get up. He's with us when we face difficulties. He's with us when we don't know what to do about that mountain. He's with us. He's with us. He's with us. Where were you, Joseph? Well, I don't even really know where I am. I know I'm not home. I'm not in a place where folks don't know anything about me. I'm in a place where my only worth to these people is for me to do something that benefits them. And I'm asking God to give me the ability to do well what I'm assigned. I'm just going to wait and do my best when I get another. No, you better hunker down and do your best right now. If you ever want to be noticed, you do what you are capable of doing and you keep doing it. Man, I don't know where that came from. I, I, you know, if a shoe fits, slap it on. But this is, this, this, God. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became, now watch this, he became a successful man. Now, excuse me, he became a successful slave. He didn't have his own business. He was bought and owned by the man. But even as he was bought and owned by the man, God was with him. And God made him a blessing to the man. Chew on that. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him. And how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now I think some of the Moses is interpreting that a little bit. Because this is a pagan's pagan. This is a pagan with all capital P's in pagan. He wasn't going to know, not going to say, I said, behold, 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 I perceive that this is the Lord God of Israel empowering this fellow named Joseph. He wouldn't know the name Lord God of Israel from Sikkim or come here. He wouldn't know. So how did he know? How did he know that God was with him? It was because God was prospering Joseph. God was blessing the things that Joseph set himself to do working for the man. I, I meant to, I got all wound up and somebody interrupted me. I don't know who it was, but got all wound up. But this verse where it says he became a successful man. Here's what the word successful in its root form means. To push forward. To press through. Joseph was successful in the sense that when things were set before him, Challenges in running the house were set before him. Challenges in running Potiphar's finances were set before him. He somehow had the ability to press through, to push forward. He wasn't giving up. 
He wasn't saying, oh, it's too tough. I can't do that. That's too hard. You shouldn't put that on me. He just hunkered down and went for it, trusting that the Lord would give him correction and direction and hoping what he was doing was the best. But as it turned out, as the Lord was with him, according to this, all that he put his hand to, every project given to him as a slave, not as a CFO, not as a partner in the business, but as a slave, the lowest you can get on the food chain. That's where Joseph came in. And Joseph prospered at the lowest point of the food chain. He goes on, I love it, verse, um, verse six. So Joseph found favor in his sight, became his personal servant, he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned, he put in Joseph's charge. It came about that from time to time, he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord, verse five, blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Now, folks, the dream, the hope, the hope, the hope, the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of Joseph's hope was not going to be for years later. But listen, the reason he worked so hard, the work what he did and gave himself in those ways is because hope was driving him. His dream was to be a person of influence. And you can't be an a person of influence unless your influence is respected. If you have bad influence, then you just expect to be overlooked. But if, if in, even, in the, even in the most difficult place, even in the most obscure place, whatever influence you, you want to come out through your life, it is good and it is fair and it is merciful, and it honors God, and you're doing right because it's right. How come everybody's so quiet except me in this house? I'm hollering my head off. And the point is encouragement, encouragement. Even in the little place, even in the hidden place, God stokes hope. In this case, influence and relationship. For all he knew, his mother and father had died. His, his brothers didn't want anything to do with him. He wouldn't even know how this was, this was way before Facebook and way before telephone lines and way before satellite phones and stuff. If, if, you were, if you were out of sight, it was as if you might never be seen again. No pictures, no photographs. So he didn't know about any of that. God did. Joseph didn't. But it was hope in the God who put the dreams in his heart that kept him going. Somehow he seemed to understand that if the day will come where I have a larger level of influence, it will be a level of influence that bespeaks excellence, that bespeaks the job being done right, the job being done well. That was a part of his makeup regardless of his job regardless of who we work for. We need to let that in. We need to let that in. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. You say, I'm in a position I don't want to be. Well, let's talk about Joseph. How, how, how long do you think he wanted to really be a slave in Egypt? But he was there. And God was with him. And the Lord was using those things to shape him into the person that he would be. Now, I, I'm going to stop after this, but I, but I think sometimes we read, these, we read about these Bible characters and we, we think, you know, they just, they just were men of steel. They were just men, men and women of steel. They just, they just had this, this incredible ability to just take it and, and just keep on going. And, and they never cried. They never whimpered. They just, they just kind of sucked it up and went on. I want to tell you. That is not true. That is not true. 
want you to find Genesis chapter 45. Skip over several chapters. This is more toward the end of the story, but, but it needs to be planted now. We'll come back to it. But because sometimes we get defeated. Well, these, these, these points of rejection, they hurt me so bad I can't even think. They hurt me so bad I don't know that I can ever laugh again. I don't ever get over it. But that must not have been the way it was or somebody like Joseph for him to keep going. There would come a time when a famine would hit that entire part of the world. Joseph would have been called to interpret Pharaoh's dream that had to do with the famine that was coming. Joseph would deliver to, the, to Pharaoh the meaning of his dream, saying that there are going to be seven lean years, there are going to be some fat years, and there are going to be some lean years. What needs to happen is we take advantage of the fat years, harvest as much as we can to be prepared for the lean years. Pharaoh was so impressed because nobody else around him could interpret the dream that, and, and, and Joseph could, that he just began to say, we need somebody with a heart to be able to understand these things and implement these things. Where do we find such a man? And his eyes just kind of moved toward Joseph. You're the man. Fresh out of the jailhouse. One night, Joseph puts his head on a jailhouse pillow. He opens his eyes in the middle of the night and there's a moon shining through the jailhouse bars. Sun comes up the next morning and they stuff some jailhouse food underneath his door. And then a knock comes on that door. Are you Joseph? I'm Joseph. The Pharaoh wants to see you. He moved from the jailhouse. If I was a black preacher, I could tear this up right now. I could tear it up. Move from the jailhouse to the penthouse in one fell swoop. God did it. God did it. God did it. So, so after that has happened, and he's now second in command of Pharaoh, overseeing the distribution of the food. All of the, all of the nations of the earth, at least those around there, were, the, the people were needing food. So, so Jacob sends his sons to get food. Here they come. The 10 brothers who over 20 years before had sold Joseph. They come into his presence but because he's the one in charge of the dispersing of the food. You know what they do? When they get there before him, they bow down. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. That's where we pick up verse 45. Then Joseph, when he finally does tell the brothers who he is, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him, no Egyptian, when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my daddy still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. He came so unloose that it just freaked them out. The heart of Joseph, the emotions of Joseph that hadn't died, these were his brothers. Thought he'd never see him again. Didn't know if that would ever be a reconciliation rest, except in the dream, except for the hope. Now it's happening. Then Joseph said to his brothers, verse four, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, 
I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, hello, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go get my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. Restoration, restoration, reconciliation, reconciliation. But do you see how a work had to go on inside Joseph in order for the restoration to be possible? He could have had them killed. He could have had found ways to imprison them, take all of whatever it is that they had left of their livelihood. He could have done that, but he didn't. What does the Lord require of you, Micah said, but to do justly, do what's right. Do what's right even when nobody's looking, even when you won't get credit for it. Do what's right. Love mercy. You love mercy. You love mercy. You love mercy. Let mercy start with you. And walk humbly with your God, he said. So, so there, there, are those, there are those two dreams. There are those two dreams. That one day, someday, a place of influence. One day, someday, a place of reconciliation and restoration. 